Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. The Cover 2 Resources podcast is an ongoing series in which we interview experts in the fight against opioid addiction. It is made possible through donations and sponsorships from concerned individuals or organizations. If you want to help in the fight against opioid addiction, please consider donating or sponsoring the Cover 2 podcast. Go to cover2.org for more information. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources. And I'm here today with Angie Ferguson. Angie is the Director of Drug-Free Clubs of America. Hi, Angie. Hello. Glad you could join us today. So how did you happen to get involved in Drug-Free Clubs of America, Angie? Well, back in 2005, a long time ago, um, my dad was working in the firehouse in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I was working in real estate at the time. And he called me on the phone one day and he said, can you come down to the firehouse? I'm sitting here with another firefighter and um, we have something we'd like to bounce off you. And so I said, sure. So it was lunchtime and it was going into the winter season. So things were slowing down for real estate for me that year. I stopped down at the firehouse and they told me this concept. Nothing had been established yet, but they just had this idea where, um, They were frustrated about everything that had been happening, all of the runs that they go on, the tragedies they witness, the heartbreak that they see. Related to drug abuse. Related to drug abuse. Mm -hmm. Not just overdose, but Mm -hmm. drug abuse in general, violence Mm -hmm. and um, abandonment and just all kinds of familial issues. And um, they were just really frustrated that it seems like there's so much that's done after drug addiction or even just drug use sets in, but not a lot is done to keep people from using in the first place. Not much prevention. Right. And well, there are prevention efforts out there, but they didn't feel like there was anything quite yet that was really hitting home with the, especially with the the youth. Hmm. Yeah. Because you did have D.A.R.E. then, didn't you? Yes. And D.A.R.E. is still around, Mm -hmm. um, but D.A.R.E. also ends in the fifth grade or sometimes sixth grade. So, you know, their focus was primarily high school. What, you know, what can we do in high schools? Your dad's focus. Yes. Dad mm-hmm. and um, the other guy that's in the firehouse at the yeah. time. Right. Um, so they said, well, what if we would offer students the chance to be tested? And if they passed their drug test, they would get rewarded for choosing to be a part of it. And it was just this one-off idea. They bounced it off of the school on a Wednesday and they said, okay, anybody who comes in tomorrow with this permission slip, you can get them free to the basketball game on Friday. And they had a huge response just with that one thing. So the permission slip. Mm -hmm. So they said, okay, 
how how did the permission slip? What what did the, what were they agreeing to in the permission? Agreeing to being drug tested. They said I okay. will be drug tested in exchange for getting in free to the basketball game on Friday. Wow! And that was it. A one for one. It was that easy. Yep, you be drug tested and you get into the to the basketball game on Friday for free. And they had a great response. So from there, they thought, could we develop a whole program based on this? And what if? There were more kids involved, or what if there were more schools? What if there were more businesses? What if it were all year? So you know the the creative juices started flowing, and that's when I was kind of called down to the firehouse to bounce the idea. And um, thankfully, we haven't had much of um, a brush within our own family with um, drug abuse, addiction, devastation, anything like that other than what my dad has to witness in the firehouse. But instantly I thought of some high school friends of mine that I thought a strategy like that could work, that could have worked for that person, where if somebody was being drug tested and they happened to fail the drug test, mom and dad would find out and they could instantly do something about it instead of waiting until all the signs and symptoms are so evident that you have to address them. So I thought of some of my friends from high school and I thought something like that could have worked for them. So that was 2005. (laughs) Um, From there, we started just cold calling schools, walking up and down main roads in northern Kentucky, knocking on doors. Um, We teased that we probably have some restraining orders out there against us. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. So we just we just grew it from there. So it's would you call it regional? You're in five states now. Um, we are in Indiana, Kentucky, and West Virginia, and Ohio. Four states. Okay. Four states. Yeah. Yes. And about forty schools. Is that about right? Right. Yeah. That's about right. Okay. So and and over the past twelve years, the program has gotten you've worked out the wrinkles, the program is pretty much perfected. So let's describe how, if if you could walk them through how the program works today. Okay. So as it works today, we, we learned several years ago that the strongest version of this um, is developed only by people who are in a community really trying to push the effort for their own local students, families, businesses, people wanting to make a difference in their own communities. So the whole community kind of banding together on it. Yes, or some key players who are there to get the whole community to band Mm. together. Mm. Um, Usually um, somebody will sort of bubble to the surface as, okay, I'm ready to take some action on this topic. What do I do? So We figured out about four or five years ago that if we can articulate everything that we do to run our own chapters of drug-free clubs, we can teach other entities how to do this in their own communities. So when those key players bubble to the surface saying, I'm going to do something about this issue, I just don't know what to do, then we can say, all right, we've got a vehicle for you. These are the steps you can take. This is what you can do. And this is what you can expect to see as a result of your work by looking at what other schools have done. So really, it starts with having somebody who is motivated to really make a change on the topic of drug abuse, drug addiction, just this epidemic that we're we're witnessing. From there, 
We walk them through how to set up their team, what types of personalities are going to be important, what to expect as far as time commitment, financial commitment. And as they are sort of composing what their team is going to look like, then sort of some energy builds and other people say, what's going on over there? And they come to the table and they join the team and then businesses start hearing about it. So then the rewards start. So it sort of bubbles out from there, but it starts really with some key players saying, I'm, I'm not going to just sit on my hands anymore. I'm going to make a difference with this topic. And what are those key roles on the team? So when somebody wants to start Drug-Free Clubs of America, um, going off of that whole theme that the best people to impact an area are the people who live there, we show an entity how to become a provider of the program for their own community. So let's say Cover 2 wants to have their own branch of Drug-Free Clubs of America. You would become the provider. And from there, we recommend, now each branch can do it, you know, tweak things to fit the resources they have. But what we have found is that if you can take people and have them focus on specific areas, then you end up having a stronger team because people have a pretty precise focus. So for example, you have one person who is spearheading everything. They are the, the chair of the, of the project. From there, you break out a team. So you have somebody focused on working with the schools. Let's say Cover 2 wants to have three high schools in drug-free clubs, running drug-free clubs in their branch. So one person would focus on working with the schools. Um, usually it's a parent that has a student in those schools or somebody who's tied administratively, things like that. So one person for all the schools well, or one, one in each school? Yeah, one person to steer the school effort. Mm -hmm. And then once the schools say, yes, we want to do it, then you would have additional people with that focus helping at each school to be there for drug test days, to help work with the student officers, things like that. But in focusing on getting established, usually there's, you know, pretty much one person that is focused on saying to the schools, okay, we want to get this into your school. What do we need to do? And you talk to all three schools and you say, what board meetings do we need to go to? Do we even need to go to board meetings? Every school is going to have their own response to that. So one person or one team focuses on the school effort. Somebody else focuses on the community portion of it because in the prevention world, the ideal strategy brings together the efforts of the home, the school, and the community. And that's a piece that's really very challenging for a lot of prevention efforts. They might have a, an educational program that lives within the school, but it doesn't really hit the community very much. Or they might have a community effort where there's stickers on boxes or door hangers on, you know, local houses, but that doesn't hit the school very much. So we really make an effort to combine one theme that crosses all those boundaries because that's where a teenager is going to be in their day. They're either going to be at home, at school, or in the community. So we like a common thread there. So we have a second person focused on the community piece. They will talk to community leaders, um, elected officials, 
or just anybody who you see in the community papers, somebody who is really active that can get stuff done and is willing to get stuff done. Um, They may or may not be the same person that talks to the press. Sometimes people like to split the community person and the press person out. Maybe the community person is good one-on-one, but not necessarily where they want to go and meet with the newspapers and such. So now we've got the community person, the school person, and the third person works on funding and financing. Okay, this is what we need to get together. These are the ways that we're going to do it. This is the time frame that we're going to do it. And usually back at our office, we have a lot of conversations with that person because they're gathering historical information on drug-free clubs for grant writing, um, our metrics, you know, how do we know that this has been successful, things like that. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times I will communicate with the funding person to answer anything I can as they are talking to businesses about um, donations or foundations about grants, things like that. So those are really the focuses of the teams. Depending on the size of the branch, they can choose if they want a school team or a school person, a community team or a community person, and a funding team or a funding person. So it really can take the shape of whatever needs to happen for that community. Okay. So um, for the more successful programs that you've seen, Mm -hmm. what shape generally do they take? The... Or is that not necessarily a metric that determines success or failure in this? What Um, what have you seen out there? Yeah, not really a metric. It's Mm -hmm. more the success of it comes, well, first of all, with patience. (laughs) This is a, this is a big effort and all of, most of the work for establishing a branch of drug-free clubs, it's pretty front loaded. So um, getting your team together and knowing that taking the time to plan it correctly is going to pay off in the long run. This isn't something that you peel the sticker off and it's in your school the next day. You know, It's taking the time to really build a strong foundation. So be patient with the planning part of this because while you're planning and getting your team together, others are hearing about it and others are getting the feel for what's going on. It's a very different concept, especially when you talk about drug testing. People don't think about drug testing as a positive motivational thing. It has a punitive, heavy-handed concept typically. Sure. So we have to take that notion and flip it around. So the best branches are very thorough in their planning phase, and they're willing to take the time to do the planning correctly. And they really believe in the power of enabling the students to impact their own school culture. Our chapters, now that's after your branch is established, but our most successful schools are ones where the leadership tells the student officers, okay, this is the concept of drug-free clubs. What can we do with it? What would you like to see happen with it? What resources do we have that we can use for rewards once somebody passes their drug test and they get in the club? So the, the students are going to affect each other much more powerfully than somebody from the outside saying, you should do this, you should do this. You know, once they can start the buzz amongst themselves, that's when it really gets going. And we just saw that with the rally in Ross County where there were so many of them that got together. We sure did. In fact, um, let's talk about that just a little bit. On the uh, Friday before Thanksgiving, 
you uh, took part in a really large rally in Shillacoffee mm-hmm. where there so was... Did you. <laughs> I, I did. That's true. We witnessed it. Um, but over 1,500 students marched as charter members of uh, Drug-Free Clubs of America, and that represented eight schools there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the neat thing that uh, my, my takeaway out of that was the pride that your ambassadors showed when they stood up there and they mm-hmm. spoke of being leaders for their generation. Right. And those are the teens. That's what it's all about is just empowering them to make that change for themselves. And that was, that was a fantastic day on many levels. The, the idea of it came from the branch itself and we've learned or I've learned from a leadership perspective that if I have somebody who's motivated, there's no reason why there has to be these rigid guidelines. We're we're in it for the same reason. So if we have this general framework and then their imaginations can go to make this really powerful, then this program sort of reveals itself to us as the leader saying, okay, this is what I can be. And then we roll with it and try to make it better. So it was really their idea at Ross County to say, okay, we're going to have this rally where we're going to get all eight of our schools. They just launched this year. This is their first school year with drug-free clubs. So this isn't something where they have built up to 1,500 members. This is right out of the gates. And they started at Chillicothe High School. They all marched together to the courthouse. And the, the one thing about drug-free clubs is that we don't require meetings because the, the students already have these schedules that are so cram-packed. I have a 14-year-old, and it's so hard to keep up with her schedule. I can't imagine adding something else on there. So we don't require meetings. But because of that, it's not very often that all of our members get to see each other. They see each other in small selections on drug test day when they come down and they're getting goodie bags and taking pictures and stuff. But that's a handful of them at a, t- at a time. So that rally was really the first time that we saw a large amount of our members all together in one spot. So that was that was so inspiring to myself and our program director and all the people that have worked for the last year and a half to plan for that launch. It was really fantastic. But like you said, it was the ambassadors, those students that made it what it is. If they didn't buy into it, and create this whole thing for themselves, all of the shouting into the microphones and stuff that the adults would have done, it would have fallen on deaf ears. When those kids open their mouths and they speak and they're the ones saying, we are sick of this and we're going to do something about it, we are going to stand up and stand tall, that's when it really makes a huge impact. It really does. So for those eight schools, they had, I believe it was over 50% of the students participated. Yeah, some. I think there were a couple that did not quite hit 50%, but there mm-hmm. are some that are over 60%. Yeah. So um, we are at over 1,500 now. I think we're at about 16. So we'll see by the end of the year. We accept new memberships through the end of the calendar year. Oh. So we'll see. Okay. By the end of 2016, how many members they have and how many members our whole club has. We've had phenomenal growth in so many different areas. Circleville launched a fantastic chapter this year. Oh, their planning team was fantastic and they had an amazing launch. We just, we've really enjoyed the way this year has developed, you know. So some schools 
already have programs, some type of program in place. Mm -hmm. And can you speak to when you've encountered that, how uh, drug-free clubs has been able to come in and, in essence, work hand-in-hand with existing clubs? Sure. Yeah. Actually, if there is a program already present, it is the basis of how drug-free clubs could be structured for that particular school. So, for example, if there is a, a SAD club, Students Against Destructive Decisions, I think is what that stands for now. Um, if there's a SAD club there, then the, the students who have chosen to be a part of the SAD club are natural student officers for drug-free clubs. So they have already joined SAD because they want to be active on this topic, but we offer them the opportunity to create a model that is going to impact others in the student body who haven't joined SAD yet. So maybe the ones that don't have time to come to those meetings, or they, they aren't necessarily the ones that are motivated to make posters and, you know, the one peer talking to another peer, that kind of stuff they aren't necessarily into, but the ones who are already in place as the SAD members then they can spread drug-free clubs throughout the rest of the student body where others could be members, they could be drug tested, and they could get rewarded for it. So now that we've got a better feel for what Drug-Free Clubs of America is all about Mm -hmm. and the main components and the people for it, if a school wanted to, or school system, wanted to bring this on board, what would be the steps that they would go through beginning today? Well, the first thing, if we're talking directly to a school, there are two ways they can go about it. They can choose to either implement the program for themselves, and that's if they have a very strong administrative team. Um, Circleville that I mentioned earlier, they are their own team. They do not have a community provider. They have provided drug-free clubs for themselves. So they funded themselves. They funded themselves. They have somebody within within their administrative body, somebody who is assigned to reach out to the community. They have somebody who talks to the press. They have somebody who talks with the student officers. So they still have taken on those key roles, Mm -hmm. but they've kept it within their own school administration instead of working with an outside community entity. There's not always one of those groups around. Sure. So um, you can, as a school, you can decide, do we have a strong enough leadership team that we can put together our own sort of planning committee to get this off the ground? Or do we want to work with a community entity? And if we want to work with a community group, who could it be? Um, There's a wide variety of community groups. We've got Rotary Clubs, several of them, one in Parkersburg. Um, The one in Chillicothe that was just very successful was a Rotary Club as well. They are the providers of drug-free clubs for their communities. We've got a parent-led prevention organization. That's Tyler's Light out of Pickerington, Ohio. Um, We've got a, um, in Indiana, it is the county prosecutor's office where one of the um, women who works in the, in an an assistant type position, she runs drug-free clubs for their school. So it doesn't necessarily have to just be a prevention organization. It can just be anyone who is really invested in making their community better. So that's the route the school has to take. Do we want to do this for ourselves or do we want to partner with others? They have to, from there, they have to find out 
who is in their community as a medical entity who can help with donating the time for drug screenings. We provide all of the drug tests. We have prepaid shipping services to get samples to our lab. The lab is covered. The medical review officer services, that's the doctor who analyzes the screen, that's all covered. Everything is provided, but we can't physically be there to collect the samples. So a school is going to partner with some type of medical entity to just donate the time of their collectors to come to the school um, five or six times a year to do the collections. Okay. Then funding is the other consideration. Um, Is it something where there are funds in place? Career tech schools have been a fantastic avenue for drug-free clubs. It has very interesting applications in the career tech realm. Our ID cards have on the back of them that this student was tested for these items. Um, You can call our 800 number to verify active participation, and that actually comes directly to my cell phone. (laughs) So um, when somebody is going out for a job, they can say, I'm in drug-free clubs, and employers are really looking for people who they can rely on, somebody who can show up and they can pass a drug test. Um, and we, we hit those notes for them. Wow. Okay. Speaking of funding, what's the cost of the program? So it's $300 for each school to get started. That $300 basically goes to our web developer because every single drug-free club school has its own page on our website. Um, it has the person that they contact. It has their list of rewards that are available in their community. And it's got a full registration process at the bottom of the page where parents can register online. Parents. What about the students? Students can as well. Okay. Yes. But the parent has to be there to sign the consent block because mm. it is a medical procedure. And these are minors. Okay. So we do always have a parent signature and a student signature. And even if the parent signs and the student doesn't, we won't test them. Or vice versa, obviously, we can. Okay. And so it's a urine test. It is. It's a urine drug screen. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so $300 to get started. That's basically web development. We get a banner printed for each school where it will feature their collector, the medical entity that's donating the time of their staff. It says um, our school is proud to reward our students in Drug Free Clubs of America. So then made possible by, and it has their medical entity It has the provider's logo usually, like if it's a rotary that's bringing drug-free clubs to the community, it'll have rotary's logo. It has the logo of MediCount Management, which is the company that donates all of our offices, all of our resources, everything to us at the the home office. Corporate level. So the banner gets printed for them. Then we have their brochures printed up ahead of time where each chapter can choose for themselves how they want to break out the the ongoing cost of drug-free clubs. So it's the $300 to get started, and then it's $67 per student annually. Of that $67, providers or schools can decide, okay, do we want the parents to pay $20 of this? Do we want them to pay $10 of this? It ranges everywhere from free to $35, $40. The chapters that we run in Northern Kentucky, um, the parent fee is 
Most of West Virginia is $20. The Ross County branch that opened this year is $10. We've got some career tech schools that make it free um, because the credentialing is, is so great for them to build up their portfolios. So the branch can decide for themselves how much they want the parent to kick in of the 67. And then the remaining balance is what the funding person has to focus on. And that's all the cost is. That $300 upfront is just the one time in the first year. From there, it's $67 per student annually. Pretty low cost. Um, it is. The, the catch is that as it gets bigger and it gets stronger, it gets a lot more expensive. So when you look at drug testing, especially administrators that I've talked to, school principals and superintendents who have looked into drug testing, they think, oh, wow, $67 really isn't bad. But if you're the guy at the Rotary that has to come up with $67 times 1,500 kids, that's a big invoice at the end of the mm -hmm. year. So um, we have a lot of partnerships to do everything we can to think keep things as low as possible. We get a lot donated to us, but primarily because a collaboration we have with St. Elizabeth Hospital in Northern Kentucky. They help us a lot with our purchase power to be able to buy our drug tests at a low rate. Um, with the lab services, the medical review officer, that is all because of St. Elizabeth's to the extent that e they even donate the time of one of their professionals for mom and dad to call if they get a positive drug screen to say, what do I do? I never expected this. So we don't just say, oh, you, you failed your test. Call us back when you're clean. They have a resource. They can call St. Elizabeth's. Nothing is documented. It's a direct phone call to one person. There's no case file opened. It's not technical counseling. It's just a resource for mom and dad to help them when they probably don't know what step to take next. Yeah. So all of those collaborations have, have helped us keep this into this package of $67. There's nothing added on throughout the year. It's just that one fee. Okay, very good. So um, you hit on a good point. When uh, when there is a positive test, mm -hmm. um, the process that you go through, it's a process whereby um, you're notified, but the parents are notified, um, and you have a medical professional who also is in the loop to advise the parents. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. The schools, do they get notified? They do not. They do not. Um, Why is that? Well, because there are rules that if the school has the information, they have to do something about it. Um, so through drug-free clubs, they don't have to go through the entire process of policy creation and figuring out first discovery, second discovery, what's our response, at what point is it punitive. It's primarily because the whole thing about our strategy is to keep it positive and upbeat and preventative. We do not want it to be punitive. We have turned a corner in our society where addiction is starting to be understood as a disease. It's something that needs to be addressed from a caring perspective, not from a policy and punishment perspective. So, but not everybody is quite there yet in their thinking. So as a program, we safeguard that and we handle the way that the positive results are, are handled. We have the doctor have a conversation with mom and dad about what's found in the sample. That's the medical review officer. Mm -hmm. That's their first phone call. 
they say, okay, we found X substance in your, in the sample. What type of prescriptions is your child on? That's always the first question because a lot of times there will be a prescription for an amphetamine, for example. Um, So the medical review officer gets the prescription information. They call the pharmacy to verify the prescription and the result is a drug-free report because that student is taking a prescription medication and everything's fine. If there is no prescription, that's when the medical review officer says, okay, well, this is what we found. And they talk about it a little bit and they say, we do have somebody available to you that you can call and ask more questions to after you've had a second to process this. So that's when they offer the number of Dave, who is our parent resource through St. Elizabeth. Then I also get those drug test results, and this is in the consent language that the parents sign in the beginning of the year. Mm -hmm. It says, we consent to having the drug test results released to the parent and to Drug-Free Clubs of America. The consent language itself does not include the school name. So if anybody is ever leery about, well, is the school really going to get the results? They are not going to get the results. We have one school where we are piloting an effort where they do get the results because there are some downfalls to the fully voluntary model, but drug-free clubs as a whole in the 5,000 kids that we have, it is completely shielded from the school. Um, When I get those results, then I follow up with mom and dad again from a club perspective. And I say, okay, we've got this positive screen. You've spoken with our doctor. Have you called Dave, the parent resource? And sometimes it's yes and sometimes it's no. Sometimes they want to call and sometimes they're not quite there yet. And so I help them feel a little bit more at ease about that. Um, But what we do from an active member status is the school obviously doesn't know that this person failed their drug test. So when mom and dad tell us, okay, we are back on the right track they should be able to test drug-free. We're ready to take our test again to get into Drug-Free Clubs of America. They let us know that time frame. We add the student's name to our list of randoms for our next visit. So the school does not know that this person is actually retesting to gain active status. To the school, it just looks like somebody who has been selected for a random drug test. So that's how we get them back in the club without any red flags going off at the school level. And the school can focus then, frankly, on the positive reinforcement. And that's why the school environment is impacted so positively because they don't need to focus on the results. We've got a full circle approach in place. They get to focus on their students who are making the right choices, who oftentimes get overlooked because they're not the squeaky wheel. You know, they're getting the positive attention that they deserve. And the school gets to focus on that, knowing that we've got the rest of it covered. Sure. So um, if an administrator wanted to start a program, what would the timeline look like to get that rolling? Right now you're working on programs for the fall of 2017. We are. Yeah. We are. Uh, usually we close new branch registration, new providers around March or April. We don't ever draw a hard, fast line on that, but you need a good, you know, five, six months to get things really going. Um, It can be done faster if you have a very strong team. 
Um, and sometimes people don't call us until they've already got their strong team in place and they say, okay, we've got our team and we've already talked to this hospital and we've got some, some money set aside here. So what do we do next? So I would never tell somebody don't call us if it's really close to the new school year, but plan for the fact that it's going to take some time to get this foundation laid properly. And you want that because it really requires momentum for the students to start to buy in, for the parents to start to buy in. Everybody needs to get excited about it before the launch, and that's what makes it very successful. So a handful of months and a motivated team are the two sort of key pieces when you're very first getting off the ground. So a handful of months, three months? I would say three three's close. <laughs> It depends on the funding situation for the most part. Some mm. grant applications take a little bit longer. Mm. Um, I would say a three is tight. You could probably do a three with a strong team, but closer to six months. And we've had a lot of schools that will sign the agreements. They'll become a branch and they will take a planning year. They will take the first year to, and that's not all that unusual in education to take a planning year before a program is launched. So they'll take the first year to get their team in place. By spring, they are identifying their student officers to design what the reward package is going to look like. They might have an early launch where um, they have kids sign up ahead of time for the upcoming fall, um, an early sort of release. And then they go from there with getting rewards in the summertime in the community. Then they are really poised for a strong launch in the following fall. Okay. Great. Yeah. Well, Angie, thanks for spending time with us today. Sure. Thank you and for asking so much about us. I'm really happy to get the word out there and answer anything, talk to anyone about it. Any final words for schools and communities that are considering a program like yours? Uh, don't wait. Just do something because the the need is great and we are we're losing too much. You know, there's too much potential in our kids that's getting sucked out of them, all of the hard work that goes into teaching them and getting them ready for their futures. And then there's this one thing on a weekend that just kills all of that, you know? So just even if it's not drug-free clubs, don't wait to do something, do something. And if it doesn't work, then it didn't work, but at least you tried it. And hopefully it's drug-free clubs and we can walk you through it. But if it's not, it this is an epidemic that requires action, not just talk. So listen to the words that are being said and take action. Well put. Thank you, Thank Angie. you. We've been visiting today with Angie Ferguson, Director of Drug-Free Clubs of America. My name is Greg McNeil. I'm founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. With your support, the Cover 2 team can continue to research and broadcast these resources to others in need. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.